what people probably don't know is I'm dyslexic and writing can be really hard for me. I also carry a lot of like childhood trauma from writing and like being called up to the board and not being able to spell bike, like the words jumbling, not being able to like write my name. So like that's a core wound of mine. But because my brain didn't get words the way everyone else's brain did, my brain had to compensate and it got visuals in a very different way. Welcome to the Intuitively Aligned podcast, a place for changemakers to cultivate their intuition and foster greater impact in their everyday lives. I am your guide, Sydney Bloom. Darius Bashar is a celebrated photographer who works with international celebrities, best-selling authors, and thought leaders such as Seth Godin, Liz Gilbert, Director X, Lisa Nichols, and Masai Ujiri. His work has been featured in world-class publications such as Time, Apple, Forbes, USA Today, Oprah.com, and others. His signature photography experiences are his heart shots and black and white experience. In June 2022, Darius launched a new photography project called No Strangers Art, which explores intimacy and connection by taking photos of strangers on the streets of Toronto and asking them one deep question. Darius is also the founder of Artist Morning, which is an international community of artists, creators, and meditators. He has led and facilitated over 500 group meditations for thousands of people around the world. You can find Darius on the world's most popular and largest meditation app, Insight Timer. Darius, welcome to the Intuitively Aligned podcast. I am so excited for our conversation today. Hi, Sid. I'm so happy we took our videos off. My channel, my ability to hear and feel is so different without video. It's completely different. I'm really glad it resonates for you. I do feel like it's a more effective practice. Yeah. Obviously, you can't see me. Your audience can't see me, but my eyes are actually closed. Mine too. Oh my God. Cool. Cool. So this is going to be quite the journey. I feel like we're podcasting on a different dimension and I like it. I'm here for it. Maybe to start out, would you share a little bit about who you are, where you come from and who your people are? Sure. I, in the truest sense, don't come from here. Just like you don't come from here. You know, I'm a soul having a human experience, and my belief is that for some reason, my soul chose to come here at this time on this planet, in this body, for some sort of human experience, some sort of self-expression. Practically speaking, my people come from Iran. Mm-hmm. I was born in Tehran. And not so practically speaking, my my people come from some other planet. I don't know where it is. None of us know where it is. But I'm having quite the journey in this human experience. And uh, I spend a lot of my time taking photos of people, making meditations, creating experiences, really. I've, it's taken me a few years to understand that the photos and the meditations are actually the exact same thing. I... Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I'm quite adept at helping people create safe spaces so that they could slow down their very overworked minds so that we can lovingly, adventurously, consensually go into their hearts and see if there's something their souls want to express. That resonates for me. And I say that as someone who has had the great privilege of being photographed by you several years ago and I remember at the time having the photo shoot experience with you and realizing that like people would say to me oh what was it like you know shooting with Darius and my answer was that I felt like you were bringing me into a sort of shamanic portal 
And that incidentally, there were some really beautiful photographs that came out of the experience, but that the experience itself was a transformational container where I received your presence and your catalytic force, if you will. And then to then be able to gift someone after a transformational experience, a sort of witnessing in the way that you do with your lens felt like the cherry on the Sunday. <laughs> but it was almost as if I'd forgotten that we were taking pictures, even though obviously we were taking pictures and I knew it in my rational mind. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's how I see it too. It's like the photos are the bonus. And I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm approaching 900,000 photos. Oh my so lot, goodness. A lot of photos, a lot of deep dives with humans from all over the world. And I've come to understand my favorite ex photography experiences are, are always when they're about so much more than the photos, the people who come in and leave transformed, it's, it's something very different. They've got to obviously be in the in a place in their lives where they're open to something like that, but it's a journey into people's hearts. I believe it. And I feel it. And I think for people who engage with you in any of the multiple facets that you offer your gifts and your talents to the world. I think everyone who taps in feels that you're not just connecting to the heart of your subject or the partner who is experiencing the transformational portal. I think you're bringing all of us in with you. Like the audience who receives the photos after? Yes, or even following you on Instagram and watching the conversations that you have with people as you're shooting, that is an expanding experience for me as someone passing through the scroll. And That's not cool and, and as we all know, like not everything that people are scrolling through is is expanding them in their in their presence and in their heart space. Very true. So I see you. The irony is not lost on me that you see me in my videos <laughs> off, <laughs> but you, you still see me, Sid. I yes. So I'm really curious to know how did you arrive into this way of being? Would you take us back in time and share a little bit about when and how you first came into your own form of inner knowing and your more expanded consciousness or awareness. There's so many connected dots and, you know, Steve Jobs has that quote, like you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. And when mm -hmm. I stand here at age 40, looking back, I'm like, so much of it is connected, but mm -hmm. there's definitely dots that are bigger bigger connections and I think a key connection point for me would probably be 2017 my aunt got diagnosed with cancer and that mm -hmm. was a really big deal for our whole family she's like my second mother and she was just like such a pillar and so healthy and that summer I remember going through this like existential crisis of sorts around this thought um, found me and haunted me in the most beautiful way possible. And the thought was, holy shit, this could be her last summer. And I love summer so much. And I was like, that's just like terrifying that this could be her last summer. And then, and then it just kept growing. The thought kept growing to, holy shit, like this could be my last summer. Nobody actually knows when your last summer will be here. And then it got more granular and that I started for whatever reasoning, personifying this concept I would call last breath. And I, I became like obsessed in this, like there's a last breath looking for all of us and nobody ever knows when it'll find you. 
Mm-hmm. That summer, I was obsessed with that. In that fall of 2017, I was like, I just kept having these visions of last breath, this like really handsome, really kind gentleman mm. would come and like knock on my front door and be like, hey, Darius, it's me. And he, you know, he, it wasn't like the Grim Reaper. It was just like last breath. And he's like, it's time to take your laptop. It's time to take your camera. There's no more photos. There's no more words. You know, there's no more hugs. There's no more anything. I'm last breath and I'm here. And it, I've come to over the years understand that like 50% of the population hates thinking and talking about death and the other 50% really gets activated and inspired by it. And I'm definitely the latter. Mm-hmm. And it was not a scary thought. It was like an awakening. And so I started the spiritual awakening and I started instead of going to sleep at five o'clock at night, waking up at five o'clock at night or mm. five o'clock in the morning, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, I started meditating and yogaing and journaling and it was just this notion of like last breaths out there looking for me. I, I want to take as many photos as possible. And at the end of my like morning rituals, I would lay on the floor and do basically breath work before I even knew what breath work was. I would take okay. these long, deep breaths. And then at the end of the session, I would take three super long breaths. And on the last breath, I would hold for as long as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And I would, try to imagine what my last breath looks like who's next to me who's holding my hand what room am i in how old am i am i surrounded by loved ones and each day i would do it it would be a different vision Mm -hmm. but i would try my best before i had to finally succumb and take another breath to see if i can see my own face in this vision and see if i was smiling and if i was Mm. smiling I knew that I had, I had nothing left to give. And if I wasn't smiling, it was an indication that like, I got it. I got to get, keep going. I got it. There's more. And that would motivate me like crazy to go and take photos and write posts and put myself way out there because there's the last breath out there looking for each and every one of us. And nobody knows if it finds you in 50 years or 50 minutes. And so that was a pivotal moment in my life that spiritually awakened me. Wow. That's profound. Like it really, really is. And I can only imagine the versions of yourself that you encountered each and every day that you did that practice. And when you weren't smiling, the kind of reckoning and compass that that might have given you as you like went into tackle the day so to speak and what an inspiring practice too because the way you describe it I don't think I've ever heard somebody describe like a spiritual practice in quite that way so thank you for sharing that yeah the other spiritual awakening to be honest was like the first black and white portrait I took because yeah, it was that was before you and I did our shoot. It was Majid, mm-hmm. and it came off like the the a frustration. I was writing about this in my journal today. Like most of my coolest ideas come from a place of deep frustration and loneliness, and wow. I was I was both lonely and frustrated before I started the black and white experience, which were my black and white portraits. I was doing a lot of fashion. I just booked like 20 fashion shoots in like in one shot and it was a lot of money and I upgraded a whole bunch of stuff and I was just so miserable. (laughs) It was just like when, when you're checking off boxes, but you're like, this is not my path. Mm -hmm. And I remember being up at like, I don't know, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and just being like, dear God, like this cannot be why I'm here like photoshopping beauty marks off of like super skinny women's bodies because the client doesn't like their beauty marks. Like this can't be my purpose. I went on to Facebook and I was just like, anyone want to do the exact opposite of fashion? And 
few people said yes. And I remember that Majid was the first person and I had no idea what I was doing. I put those photos on line afterwards and immediately like hundreds of people liking, commenting, trying to book me. And I took those photos off and I was like, that was a fluke. I don't know what that was, but I committed to doing another 19 because I could feel something important that was about so much more than the photos. And, and the thing that was happening there was like, I thought it was going to be a masterclass in like photography, but really it was a masterclass in humanity because everybody I encountered had the same thing. Like they just so badly wanted to be seen and were sort of terrified if people saw the real version of them, they wouldn't like them, love them, respect them. And that conflict between those two desires became my obsession. And that changed me deeply because I could see how much we all have in common. And I could feel all of my insecurities in someone else. I'm like, wow, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your body's like. It doesn't matter where you came from. Like all of us share these uh, insecurities. Yeah. That's wild. And when you think about it, what you said is true. And I think to take it one step further, I would say people don't even fully see themselves let alone all the feelings they have around being seen by others. So true. So I know that's sometimes that's the most confronting part is what is there if I stop, if I stop performing yeah. or delivering or running through my checklist or pleasing all the people and doing all the things, right? Like who's there when you stop and breathe? And then that can be the moment when, not just sitting alone, you know, on the floor of our, your room, but behind a lens that can also just be the moment when you actually, I think that may be part of what's the deep catalytic experience that you create through these shoots. You allow people not just to be seen, but to feel and experience and witness themselves through new eyes. Yeah, and those new eyes are their eyes. Yes. The real, the real eyes. I ask people now before we start a photo shoot, I'm like, when's the last time you've seen yourself? And that's a good, in, it's like a trainer saying, when's the last time you were in the gym? Mm -hmm. And if the person's like, it's sometimes, honestly, like I don't, haven't seen myself really in five, 10 years. Like right. there's a really good chance this, this is going to hurt. You know, like I just tell them that like this is if you haven't seen yourself like, oh, occasionally I'm in the back of a photo, but I'm usually taking photos. You know, I work mostly with women over the age of 40 now. And a lot of them are moms and a lot of them are used to holding the camera and documenting everyone but themselves or mm -hmm. like growing a business and focusing on the business. And it's like, what about me? It's my turn. And so the more you see yourself, the easier it gets. It's just like hearing yourself for the first time. You're like, is that my voice? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what what that's like, right? Oh my goodness. I could not listen to my voice for years. And honestly, creating the podcast, and I knew this would be so, it is healing and transforming my relationship with my voice and my ability not just to speak, but to listen differently. Exactly, yeah. And it's very similar to photos. That's what I look like. Yeah. And until you see enough photos and then you stop seeing with society's eyes and you start seeing with your own eyes, you're like, whoa, that's what I look like. It's not that hard. And then you start being compassionate and loving and, you know, it just takes practice. You got to get to the gym. You got to do more reps. The more you see yourself, the more you hear yourself, the easier it gets. Can you talk a little bit about how it might hurt? Yeah. So it, it, again, the gym. So mm -hmm. if you haven't walked into the gym for a while, like we all see ourselves, it's a weird thing, but we like to actually look at yourself, you know, not, not under that perfect lighting with that hoodie on 
in that one mirror, you know, but like to just really look at yourself, if you haven't done that in a while, and then your expectations are, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do a four hour CrossFit workout. And I mean, you know, it's like your expectations are at one level and your work ethic is at a different level. And those two things need to be at the same level to create a bridge for you to walk across. Otherwise, there's going to be this big gap between those two things and you're going to fall through the gap and hurt yourself. This isn't just true of photos. It's true of anything. Mm -hmm. I fall victim to this a lot. I'll do something new and secretly without me fully being conscious to it, there's this expectation that I'm going to be the greatest of all time doing this thing for my first time. Right. You know, like if it's like a Zoom presentation or an Insight Timer Live or a YouTube video or a podcast, there's like this like secret somehow expectation that I'm not even fully aware of. And then I disappoint myself as opposed Mm -hmm. to being like, this is my first attempt at this. Maybe it's not reasonable for me to expect this performance to be the greatest anyone has ever done after my first time. You know, so lots of people I understand. Do, or do whatever it is. And it's like, if you haven't done something for a long time, this is why I carry a, I have pictures of little Darius, although I'm holding one right now in my hand, all over my workspace, all over my home. It's a, a reminder that when I'm doing new things, it's mm-hmm. not 40 year old Darius. It's like five year old Darius. It's eight year old Darius. And he doesn't need like, well, when are you going to make money doing this thing? We need this to be profitable immediately because then you're going to suck the joy out of him just playing and expressing. And he's so beautiful. I just pulled up. I have a photo of you that's called Little D that you shared with me sitting in a library with earphones on and a book. I'm I'm looking at that exact one. He kind of looks like me with the headphones on, right? Yeah. And there's just such a sweetness and like a pureness, right? It's like a pureness in that moment and a happiness. And I feel like, can you imagine if everybody kept the photos of themselves as a child around? I'm going to bring one in and put it up on my altar because that's just such a powerful reminder. Highly suggest it. Yeah. Have them all over. It's just like the the energy of child selves are so powerful. They're they're naturally curious. There's, you know, there's they give us access to a lot of really wonderful things. Also compassion, like you don't talk to a five year old the way you talk to a forty year old. Yeah. Well, and you know why I asked about it hurting is because what I remember from my own experience with you, which I appreciate from everything you're sharing was at the beginning of the chapter of the black and white shoots. For me to see the photos, I felt so much more beautiful than how I was seeing myself at that time. And so it didn't hurt me to witness myself and see myself, but the process of the uncovering of going through the shoot And receiving this incredible musical arc that you created and the conversations that we shared. And I believe you asked me about my work at the time and why I did that work. And it connected me into the deep remembering of my own life and what my parents went through, especially my mom as a little girl, and into the suffering of my grandmother as well. As we were talking, I remember having a moment where I just totally fell apart. And I remember the, I don't know if I would say it was pain, but it felt like the kind of painful witnessing when you can be raw and honest and revealed in a way that's really tender and where you kind of don't know what will happen next. Yeah. It never occurred to me that seeing the photos would be painful because I think you have such a gift to make people feel their most beautiful, authentic self, which they are, but they don't see captured that often. But Mm -hmm. I do sometimes think being seen and held in the loving tenderness of another person who's fully present with you 
can actually cause some kind of pain or even just reckoning that we aren't in that kind of love at all times. Yeah. Yeah, the way I like to describe it, and I think what served me really well in my photography career is telling the truth. There's a lot of photographers that everything's great, 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 and people stop believing you if everything you're just positive. Mm -hmm. But there's a science and an art to like constructive feedback. And mm -hmm. a part of the success of the photography experience I create is like really clearly managing expectations of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it hurts if you haven't seen yourself in like a decade. That's just, it's going to be hard. But yeah. if you get through that initial hard part, you actually have the most to gain. But for everyone, it's difficult. The way I describe it is it's a roller coaster ride. And so when people walk in, it's like one of the peaks. When they first get here, it's like probably the third highest peak of the roller coaster ride. And they're like, where am I? What's going on? This is a new space. And then they right. meet me and they come into the space. And what's it? So going up the roller coaster is really scary. Yeah. That's the scariest part. True. Um, I remember that. I do remember being so anxious beforehand. Yeah. So it's a, that's one of the peaks. And then there's a part where you're going down and it's just exhilarating and you're not doing anything. You're just in flow. And it's, it's the momentum is taking you forward. So the higher the peak, the higher the momentum and flow. And so we don't want a flat ride because then you should just do that at home and save your money and take photos with your iPhone. It's my job to design this roller coaster ride to best suit the expression of your heart and soul. And that involves consent and us like co-creating this ride. But throughout the experience, you know, it'll go up and then the higher it goes up, the the more exhilarating and reward of the down. The mm -hmm. highest peak that we encounter is always the first time you see photos. Yes. That's always like the scariest. And I just prepare people. I'm like, there's a 98% chance based off a lot of stats that you're not going to love this first photo. Actually, you're probably going to hate it. And that's okay. That's okay. Instead wow. of saying nice things, instead of bypassing the photo, I get people for 10 seconds to hold on the photo. Don't say a thing. Don't go to the next photo and just listen. Listen to what speaks to you from inside. What part of you has something to say? And just hold space for that part. Don't make it wrong. Don't shut it up. Don't call it a gremlin or a demon. Just listen. And if you're like me and 98% of the other people, it's going to have critical things to say. And right. don't make it wrong for saying it, just release it. And there's only one benefit to them doing this courageous thing of listening to their inside voice. And the only benefit is if you actually listen and release it through your voice by saying what you see, oh my God, my eyes, my nose, my ears, my arms, my teeth, my whatever it is, mm -hmm. you actually, in 60 seconds or less, you walk away lighter because you've let go of this thing that's been haunting you probably for decades. This thing yeah. that's been in your head talking to you that your chin is too big or you're too small or your hips or this or you whatever. And so I give people reassurance that I've heard everything that they could possibly say. I have no judgment towards it. I feel lots of those things they're saying myself. Right. And, and I know they're not talking about my photo. They're talking about they're human. Yes, and that's it. You have that perspective. Exactly. In terms of the experience that you've created for them, that you're not internalizing it in any way. Yeah. So I, I give them permission to just say the thing. Mm -hmm. And then they say it. And 98% of the time, they don't love the photo. They hate the photo. It's a critical voice that speaks. But if they do the 60 second exercise and just use their voice to release it, this incredible thing happens. 80% of the time, they'll accidentally, as they're holding the camera and they're rotating through the photos, come back to that first photo and not remember they hit the star button and they're like i love this photo 
And I'm like, just so you know, five minutes ago, that was the photo you hated. They're like, no, 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 it's a different photo. And I grab the camera, prove it to them. And then they look at me like I did some sort of voodoo. And it's like, what happened? How come I love it now? And I'm like, that's because you're seeing with your own eyes now. It's like someone who's got pent up energy and yeah. is not being listened to. All we're doing is being empathetic witnesses to that pent up energy that's already there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just creating a safe space for them to just finally say it and release it. And then mm-hmm. that energy doesn't go away. And it's not like you're never critical about yourself again. It's just calm down. It's not pressurized. You're taking then, off one layer of the onion. Exactly. And then they can start, you know, seeing themselves, really, really seeing themselves. I'll share a quick story with you. This thing that changed my life forever is someone came in and the two percenters I'm so interested in, the people who see themselves, see their humans and don't mm-hmm. get critical. And they just like, they're just pure love right away. They're very, very rare. A trait I've seen amongst the two percenters are near death experiences. They, they somehow can bypass that whole weird human critical dynamic we all have. And I remember right. this, this lady was sitting on my couch. She sees the first photo. She starts to get emotional. I'm like, okay, this isn't that, you know, unnormal. I asked like, so what do you think about the photo? She's like, I love it. And I remember that photo wasn't a great photo. And I'm like, okay, can you say what you love about it? And then she said, the wrinkles. I'm like, what that is a very (laughs) unique statement and then she proceeded to tell me this incredible story about when she was i think 28 being in the hospital having cervical cancer and the doctors telling her it doesn't look good we just want to be honest with you and her being in the hospital and literally praying to god dear god can i just get old enough to have one wrinkle oh my gosh And that blew me away, changed my life forever, because it was just such an incredible reframe that these wrinkles, you know, are a privilege that not all of us will have. I'm receiving that very deeply. (laughs) It's so funny how hard we can be on ourselves, right? Yeah. On like a superficial level, and you can just forget what a gift what a pure gift it is to be alive. What a gift. Like one of my favorite things to do is to randomly ask Siri, how many days since my actual birthday? You know, if you'd say your birthday to Siri and you say, how many days since that day? She'll tell you like 14,812 days. I'm like, that's the oldest I've ever been. I've yeah. never made it to that many consecutive days in a row, you know? And that's one of the things I love telling people before a photo shoot, like, this is the most obvious thing I can tell you, but this is the oldest you've ever been. Yeah. And sometimes people are like, but this is the youngest I feel. I'm like, doesn't matter what you say after that. The fact is you've never had this many consecutive days in a row. And today, if you're open to it, I'm going to introduce you to your human that's this many days old. It must be very transformative for people. Most of the time, most of the time, if I've done my job right, the right people are here. Yeah. Like probably 80% of the people are like, whoa, and they, they're like really into it. And then some people aren't. And I've over the years just come to get a lot better at not expecting anything. You, you just, you don't know. Everyone's different. Some people have a very like stoic experience. Right. And, And then like a year later, they'll message me with this like crazy email saying, oh my God, that's, it's like, you don't know what's happening just based off of what you see. And my energy gets compromised if I need a a reaction out of people. Yeah. You're not coming at this from a place of ego. You're coming at this from a place of holding a container to capture the person in the now. Yeah, I'm just like, there's a process through the heart, through the heart space, ideally. Yeah, there's a process that I 50% meticulously plan and the other 50% I leave wide open. So the uniqueness of the person comes through and I, I trust the process and I do my very best. And then I just let go and let people have whatever experience they're going to have with it. 
Can I ask you a question that links back to that year that your aunt got sick? Yes. You described that that was the year that you really started journaling and reflecting. And since that time, you've, from what I understand, really deepened your own practice and shared this experience with others, both in terms of creating meditations and in creating a space for people to creatively tap into their own writing. Can you talk a little bit about the transformation that you experienced and how your inner knowing guided you into those expansions of your expression? Yeah. There were many expansions in that period. And what people probably don't know is I'm dyslexic and writing can be really hard for me. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And I also carry a lot of like, like just childhood trauma from writing and like being called up to the board and not being able to spell bike, like just the, like the words jumbling, not being able to like write my name, like everything just got messy mm-hmm. and doing a lot of like institutional testing as they do in Canada when you're a kid and like being in grade six and them calling my parents in and being like, he's like at the, at a grade one level, we have to put him into ESL, which is English as a second language. And I was basically born here. And so it was really hard for me to write. And I would write like 2000 to 3000 words a day and publish it on medium.com. And like, it was such a, when I look back, it was like such a strange thing to do. And the writing was like resonating with people. And I was booking things and, you know, so something was connecting, but like, if I would get like a spelling and it's, it's not a spelling mistake, it's, you would read the same thing 20 times and as a dyslexic person, sometimes you, you still can't see the very basic thing that's off. Right. And, and I would really be critical with myself and really harsh, but I would continue doing it, which was bonkers to me now. when I look back the courage that guy had. Can you pause for a second and just talk about that a little bit more? What was driving you at that time when you were publishing on Medium? I'm trying to go back. I think it was just like last breath. I'm like, there's there's words in my heart. Mm. And I can't let them die there. Okay. There's things that want to come through. And I, and I look at so much of the writing... My dear friend Sal Talon uh, made a book out of them, like this, like uh, tarot, like uh, an oracle card deck. Oracle, yeah. And I pulled the cards and read them. Like, who wrote this? I don't remember writing any of this. It was just coming through me. But here's the interesting thing, right? I firmly believe that your your superpower has a twin flame. And it's usually connected to your core wound. They were born at the same time. So like, that's a core wound of mine. Like, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm not intelligent. You know, and it comes from that dyslexia. But because my brain didn't get words the way everyone else's brain did, my brain had to compensate and it got visuals in a very different way. And so would I be the photographer I am now if I didn't have that quote unquote deficiency. So it's like, that was a gift in in that, that I couldn't see till many years later. So the other major pivotal point in the journaling, when I made it about more than just me was the second week of COVID when I was locked down, all my shoots got rescheduled. And I was like halfway through Julia Cameron's the artist's way. Yes. And she finally got me to start like actually journaling the morning pages, like three pages every day. And I was trapped and stuck. I would meditate, journal. And for 14 days straight, I got this like whisper in my ear. There are other people who could use meditation and journaling. Other people who feel lost and could use community. And I would literally journal back. And what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> I'm a bloody photographer. 
And then the next day, the whisper would show up. And I'm like, cool, go tell someone who knows how to make meditations or a community or something. I don't know what to do. By the 14th day, and we were on like mandatory lockdown because we just came yeah. back from Costa Rica. I was like, okay, this lockdown's not going anywhere. Yeah. I might as well just indulge this whisper and see what happens. And so in a single day, when I opened those channels and just allowed, I thought I'd maybe like make a logo or something in a day, you know, like maybe like a skeleton of a website. I ended up like buying a domain, making a logo, doing all the copy for the website, getting the hosting up, getting the first video up, getting the submission form up, getting the first meditation made all in less than 24 hours. And the core principle there was that journaling is the best therapy, the cheapest therapy, the best conversation with God I know. It's, it's practically free and it's right there. And it's private and it's personal. It's not like your next best-selling book. But one of the great joys of my life now is on Fridays when I have artist morning and you know it's usually somewhere between like 80 to 100 people show up every friday from all over the world after they do the meditation you know people put their videos on and they are journaling and so just look up at my screen and see that many people so diverse all just journaling feeling expressing connecting with themselves is one of the great joys of my life I can imagine. And what does that, when you think back on those days in 2020, when you were hearing the whisper to do it and saying, well, I'm a photographer, what do you want me to do? What do you say to him now? Yeah, I say to him that sometimes those whispers are God. And sometimes those whispers that scare you, that feel impossible, that don't logically make sense, can be the greatest decisions you make in your life. Mm. It's such a powerful reminder for all of us to make enough space to hear the whispers, let alone to act on it and, and see how your life will change. Yeah, and, and the tricky part and I don't claim to fully understand this yet, but I've got some clues, is when do you know it's a whisper from your higher self, from your guides, from your angels, whatever you want to call it, from God, from source, versus whispers from your ego, from your scarcity, from your insecurity? Because both have whispers. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes it's not even a whisper. Like I find the ego screams. Yeah. But yeah. How, how would you answer it? I think I'm still working on this theory, but I think because I've had both. And now I feel like I've got enough data to distinguish because I'm like, that did not work. And that worked way better than I ever expected. And by work, I don't just mean like validation and money, but also like this really feels connected to my purpose. It's aligned with my heart and soul. And I think that what I've discovered is the higher self has gentle whisper. Mm -hmm. The ego self has a seductive like pull and it's trying it's trying to lure you it's like you better do this you better do this quick it's trying to like bring you into a one night stand it's <laughs> like this is going to be the greatest night of your life this is going to be amazing this is going to change everything we're going to we're going to make so much money we're going to change the world we're going to you know and it's like it's like trying to lure you in versus the whisper is just chill. Mm -hmm. And, and, and just like a one night stand seduction, if you wait long enough, it like fizzles out. 
but the whisper yeah. is a it's like love versus lust it's like it just keeps slowly gently building and it keeps building and i think there is a moment where if you do nothing it eventually goes away but i have found that the the love versus lust connection feels real for my life at least well and i would challenge you on saying that it goes away because at least based on my experience i would say it can go silent but a lot of the work that i do with people in intuitive mentorship is discovering that just because it feels like there's been silence doesn't mean that it's actually gone i think you're right i don't think the whisperer goes away but that we, particular idea or sentiment might because there is something to the energy of an idea that's alive too yeah right like it's like that maybe that then that idea is like i'm gonna go to some other photographer i'm gonna go to someone else because like obviously you're you're not that interested but the whisper that higher self is always there and i hope forever there i appreciate you sharing that that's a very interesting perspective on the difference i do definitely agree that i think time is the difference between the the voice of ego and the highest self and certainly in my own experience when i feel something calling me and it feels like there's an urgency that it has to be done now and you know, sometimes there are callings from the highest self that are urging you to do something now. And so I'm just sitting with the the nuance of that, right? Because sometimes, mm -hmm. like you said, right, you were hearing the whisper and in one day you can create a lot when there's that alignment and that almost electrical vibrancy around tapping into your essential self or tapping into the divine. But I agree. I think the ego, I think the ego voice typically has time urgency and if you give it space it changes whereas i find with the highest self there is that gentleness so yeah i think i i think i vibe with what you're saying for sure and i don't know if i've had that experience of something completely disappearing in terms of an idea or an inspiration but at the same time i agree that because we're always changing if our highest self or our ability to tap in is always there, then the voice is speaking to you as who you've become today. And so that conversation may be different than whatever the whisper was telling to a version of us that's, you know, was living in the past. Mm. Yeah. I found a picture that I'm just going to send to you over WhatsApp. This is jumping back to our conversation about our inner selves okay not my biological children but thinking about <laughs> us in our essential self and how would you talk to the child version of you and i thought i would share that picture and i'm thinking I love this if i have your permission what i might do is post the photos of us as children on the Substack. a million uh, percent yes post a million percent yes i'm just loving the two pictures you sent me here I know, and, I know. And for I anybody know listening, person. if <laughs> and for anybody listening, if you follow the link to my Substack, you will find these adorable photos of us as kiddos. One, mine is me wearing underwear and a necklace, eating a popsicle. So cute. With stickers that I think my eleven-year-old self put on, because I cut out these photos and pasted them, like in middle school and high school we had these paper agenda books and my friends and I would decorate them, sort of treat it like a personal collage or a vision board, cutting things out of magazines, taking photos from our lives. And so I know by the stickers that I put on that I had put these in one of my, one of my agenda books in, in probably middle school, but I think I'm going to have to print it out now and put it up on my say, altar. I, I was, I can't believe you don't have little you on your altar. Well, I have a photo and this is a card that my parents gave me for Valentine's Day in 2019. And it's a Valentine's card that says, there are two kinds of people in the world, you and everyone else. 
And it's all these little girls and tutus standing at the bar in a ballet class. And then there's one little monkey hanging upside down off the bar. That's a little girl that looks very similar to me as a child. But I do have that up on my desk, on my altar, because it feels like a really profound reminder to to do you, you know? I love this picture. Yeah, it does look like you. Wow. Right? <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners today? I feel like we've covered some really rich territory in terms of your own journey into a spiritual awakening and an expanded awareness that's truly transformed not just your life, but the impact that you create through your art and through your work in the world. Is there anything else that you would have us cover before we say farewell for now? I don't think so. That was a fun conversation. I feel like we talked about a lot. So I know you love going deep and I love going deep. I think the depending on where people meet me, I'm also the silliest dude. <laughs> I can be so silly. And this was a more serious conversation. And I don't want people to forget how fun and playful and silly life can be. And I think I needed to hear that. The last couple of weeks have been very serious. And I think I just wanted to say that for at least for me. That resonates for me profoundly. All I've been thinking about is how can I embody playful practice? Because nice. as I'm sure you know, I'm a pretty serious person. And when I'm passionate and I get excited, it almost makes me more serious. And so remembering to play and remembering to bring all of the ease and joy and silliness and imperfection into everything feels so so important great and i appreciate that this was a really heartfelt and serious conversation too and i also love that everybody listening will know that they can come for playtime with d as well and <laughs> and i'm here for it i'm totally here for it awesome i'm really grateful we got to tap in and share this time and space together my pleasure thanks for having me thanks for asking great questions sid to our audience, I want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, share, or click the notification button on your podcast platform. For those listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for a five-star rating and a written review. This will also make it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you want to connect with me more, please join me on Substack. I will be posting longer form written pieces about my intuitive changemaker journey, as well as bonus audio content and having online discussions with the intuitively aligned podcast community. You can also find me through Instagram at Sydney Rebecca. Yes, that's Sydney Rebecca without an A on the end or through my website, www.sydneybloom.com. I also want to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Wilson Lynn. And I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode. Mm -hmm.